This podcast is brought to you by Enrollment Resources, Innovations in Enrollment Management. Learn more at enrollmentresources.com. Okay, let's proceed. Everybody, I'm Greg Meeklejohn with Enrollment Resources, and with me today I have uh, uh, my partner Shane Sparks. Uh, we've been in business for 11 years. We focus on process improvement, how to improve conversion rates for schools, teaching you how to do more with what you've got. And we have a special guest, Shane, um, today. We have uh, Rita Girondi. Why don't you introduce Rita? Well, Dr. Rita Girondi is yes. the uh, president of Training Masters. Is that the right title, Rita? It is. Thank you. Founder and queen of Training Masters. Rita had owned uh, schools in her past and um, and then had uh, launched Training Masters and is really one of the, I'd consider, thought leaders and kind of general smart people out there that are offering really insightful opinions um, based in a deep well of experience on what's going on in our world, and we're really grateful to have her on the call. Thank you. Awesome. Welcome, Rita. Um, to, today, folks, we're, we're striving for a minute phone call, and uh, what we are going to do is uh, I, I'm going to set up the challenge um, that we face, and that's going to create a notion for the subsequent ideas that we're going to share on our phone call today. And if you don't fully agree with the notion, just still ride along. You'll still gain a lot of insights and thought starters that you can take away in the call. Our goal is to give you, I don't know, three or four insights that you can run with with your team, start to just turn rocks and go down a path of exploring some ways to just get in front of this gainful employment issue. So I'll just... uh, quickly give an overview from our perspective, and then um, then we can go from there. So here's, I'm going to set up the challenge. So um, the new gainful employment regulations are, are almost complete, and ABSCU, bless their heart, they went in with a deep economic analysis of these new, uh, uh, the new gainful employment um, uh, laws as they're slated to come out, and they are indicating that 13 to 22 percent of all the present programs being offered by proprietary schools will be non-existent within a couple of years. Um, and if it is at the high end of the 22 percent, that will also depopulate schools by an average of over 40 percent. So it's a harsh. Uh, they're, they're giving a harsh pill to swallow here, um, and. Um, in addition, uh, you know, we've done additional research, and they're still proposing revenue, which this is an interesting one for Shannon and I, where students that um, that come to you through um, stu- student loan funding, you're only allowed to reinvest 3% of that revenue for marketing, whereas usually schools typically will, if they're efficient, go 7 8%. If they're inefficient, you know, up as high as 13 14%. In marketing, so they're stating three percent would be the rule, um, and and then really what the DOE are wanting is they're they're wanting um, first and second year graduates to have a a wage that is a notch higher than the average uh, earnings of college dropouts, which in the U.S. is twenty four thousand dollars a year. And ideally, they want to have an average um, student loan uh, no greater than. Eight thousand 
dollars cumulative student loan. Now, Shane, that's a typical scenario in Canada, right? Um, Canadians have been kind of operating under this premise for a number of years. They seem to be doing okay. Yeah, it's. I guess you know. I don't know if we're doing okay or not. Truthfully, yeah. Well, there are schools, and they're they're teaching students. Um, however, I guess in the U.S., it's a totally different deal. And um, I guess the thing that the, the the big issue is that um, that students are they get student loan funding, and often students get more funding than they need, which totally messes up the. Uh, the ratios that are going to be coming down the pipe. Yet, the understanding is is that um, if you refuse a student based because they're taking too much in the way of student loans, uh, they can sue a school for discrimination. So it's kind of like uh, you're hooped either way. Um, Rita, you want to speak to that for a sec? Well, on the funding side, that's always been a dilemma. Um, uh, it, it's a very sticky area because uh, there are regulations that prevent schools from doing what's in the best interest of the student, and then there are regulations that require schools to do things that may not be in the best interest of the student. So it, it's an area that really needs expert guidance, depending on the school's program length, uh, you know, cost of education, et cetera. And my recommendation would be that not only become familiar with the regulation, but really make sure that there's expert guidance associated with whatever the policies and procedures are that the schools decide to pursue. Yeah, even hiring outfits like yourself or FA experts or to go and just walk people through some of it. But I guess really the, there's there's so much going on at, right now there there's the department of education there's the ftc investigating the the marketing portals there are uh it's a white house initiative um there's elections coming up there are uh, policy changes in the works there's um if people are going to get dinged with this there are going to be um lawsuits and so and this is going to protract out over three, four, five years, and because it's intense, and um, and then ultimately it'll settle into some smooth period of time. So what it is right now is there's there's turbulence, and uh, and so we have to work through the turbulence. Um, and Greg, so, let me just mention too that when we talk about uh, you know being sure that there's expertise associated there. The schools are in different states, and there are going to be different state regulations that get layered on this. The accrediting agencies, I'm sure, are looking at their standards and how the standards are going to reflect and apply this. And the expertise that the schools have really uh, at the state level with their state associations can be significantly helpful. Uh, the yeah. accrediting agencies themselves can be significantly helpful. So it's it's making sure that the the schools are reaching out to those sources that are available to them in their yeah. area. Yeah, and the the it, it appears that the uh, the um, most of the lawsuits being presented right now are coming from state attorney generals. They're all over the place. There's mm -hmm. 60, 70 lawsuits at play right now from mm -hmm. state-level attorney general's offices all over the place. So, And it's going to proliferate as they seem to want to pile on and, 
I don't know, make hay out of this. I'm not sure. Um, so let's well, move so forward. I, actually, oh, I have a chain. thought on that, and this could be maybe the first kind of tip of the day. Mm-hmm. Because, like, there's when I was asked when we first went on the call, I was asking what are some of the things, and, and uh, I think Gene, you'd said, um, or Gene Martin had said, the fear of the unknown is really the the big, and and that's ultimately the situation because it's all unknown. Nobody knows how this is going to play out, and so as a school leader, you can give yourself an advantage over your competitors simply by being better informed. Mm-hmm. Right, so reach out to the state associations, find experts that can help. Like we're marketing people, right? So we look at things from a marketing lens primarily. The just the act of being better informed than your competitors gives you an inherent advantage. Yeah, and, and so so we have um, uh, uh, a that the APSCU uh, white paper. You can either. Um, uh, jump onto that uh, Absky website and, and find the analysis, or you could uh, actually, if you text uh, text us, um, I'll give you a text number at the end. We can arrange to um, go through that with you if you like, and just have you in private and have you get have a better feel for things. So, without further ado, let's now take this lemon and add some sugar and make some lemonade. Um, how do we? Rita and Shane, how do we take advantage of this situation and turn it to advantage? So there's a few themes that we've jumped on initially that we thought we could squeeze into a 30-minute call. Um, And the first one is uh, something that Rita has really um, uh, drives hard on uh, and she believes in, and I'm going to have her speak to it, and that is to rededicate to the core mission of proprietary schools. Um, So... Uh, really, and what that means is is really finding kids' jobs. Um, Rita, do you want to speak to that? Because I thought you gave Shane and I some really good insights a few days ago on that topic. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Let me just capture two things here. One is the fear, and I think what we all need to acknowledge is that it's real, but we also have to understand that fear keeps us in a very restrictive mode of thinking. And when you get back to the core mission and our purpose, one of the beauties of my experience in proprietary schools for 33 years now, at every conceivable level of operating positions and then owning my own schools, there have been significant waves of regulatory um, havoc, I'll call it, from time to time. Many of those regulations have caused our industry to become better than it ever was before. Obviously, there were casualties along the way in the high default days where schools closed in major cities and access to education became very restricted to the population that needs it the most. But overall, I think that through these tidal waves uh, that I've experienced over the past 33 years, our industry has gotten better. So we really have to try to not allow that fear to put us into a restrictive mode. The first thing we do is go back to our mission and understand that nobody has provided employment training and education better than the private career school industry. Nobody has done that better in the history of post-secondary education. We do it, and we do it well. And those schools that don't are going to go away, uh, whether it's the regulatory issues or some other situation. Uh, But when we're committed and we're operating our schools at the highest level of integrity and our staff is committed to that mission, 
that brings the that that limits the restrictiveness of the thinking and it brings a more liberating type of thinking back to us that we can take pride in what we do. What we have to do and build on that mission is this whole concept of the career vision. We have to go back and look at ourselves and decide whether we have evolved out of that mission either because we wanted to be on the bandwagon and keeping up with just a whole variety of educational delivery systems or programs or length of program or cost of program, it's going to take a deep dive, uh, microscopic look into who we are currently today and have we stayed within our mission, have we drifted from it, and what do we look like. And that, there's a real beauty to doing all of that in that, you know, when you hear businesses are suffering from cutbacks, oftentimes what you hear in various sectors is that we're being asked to do more with less. What's more restrictive than that? The other way of thinking about it is let's do things differently. And that opens up that liberating thinking pattern where the entire school can get involved in the thought process of how we do things now and what it looks like now and how we may end up looking a little different than we look today. There may be some programs we change. We might shorten programs. We might bring down cost of attendance. We might introduce new programs, all within our mission, though. Yes, so my goal is to encourage that liberating thinking totally around the mission. So, Rita, along those lines, um, one area that we've landed on is, uh, and Shane, I'll have you speak to this, is um, really understanding, getting back in touch with the fact that schools are um, an outcomes-oriented industry and that, uh, in some respects, if you're positioning your school for success, the most important population group to do that with are the employers that are hiring your grads. Do you care to speak to that? Yeah, so our, our belief has always been that ultimately your customer in all of this is the employer. That's who you're ultimately serving, the employers. And the schools that have done a great job of um, connecting with employer groups and being a voice of the employer community and the program or programs they serve are, are automatically better set up to succeed because they – they can they have a better shot of guaranteeing the outcome or or getting the outcomes of that we're trying to get, which is basically a, a decent paying job. And so it helps on the placement rate. It helps keep them um, very current on programs. It helps them identify ahead of time that that uh, programs that are maybe in decline or becoming bug, buggy whip programs and, and ultimately need to be cut. And it also identifies new programs that may be needed by those employers. And so what to, to me, Rita, what you're saying is ultimately that the, the career vision, in, in a marketing language, we'd call that product, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's buttoning down the product, the product being the delivery of the programs and the programs themselves. And if, if according to APSCU, if... 13 to 22% of programs are not going to qualify for federal funding because the, the price of the program doesn't rationalize the job that's created at the end of the program. To me, that ultimately identifies those are, the, those are weak programs. They just have a poor value proposition, and maybe they should be cut anyway. That makes sense. So to to that end, um, I'm going to uh, I'm mindful of our time here. So uh, we've got a 
popcorn talk we're given here. So I'm going to leave some tips for you guys around um, uh, how to connect yourself better with the the uh, community at large and, and the employment community at large. And you guys, I'm sure, listening will know some of this already. But become a dominant player on LinkedIn. Um, and what you want to do is is hook into uh, discussion groups um, and and pools of employers that line up with your programs. Uh, ensure that employers view you as a, a tier one source of students, and that would involve senior management getting out and sitting with um, with some of these key employers that tie into your um, programs and, and having high high level philosophical lunches around connecting. Um, join the regular um, local uh, HR Managers Association and, and mix in with them and, and start to make an effort to brand and position with the uh, employers. Uh, dominate associations. Join associations that line up with your programs and give all your students um, student memberships into those associations. Um, the vanilla programs um, that, that you know, like let's just say it's an administration program. If you have big employer groups, then create a specialty, a subspecialty with those vanilla programs that tie in to those big employer bases. Um, give. Um, hey, Greg, uh, can you give us give us an example of that taking a vanilla programming and making it specialized? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, an example is uh, uh, in uh, a rural area. Um, there is a school that is competing with some major chains. It's an independent school, has five campuses, and they have an administration program. And it's the as it was described is the graduates are all wanting to you know pop on their pretty shoes and head off and work at the law office kind of thing and. Um, and so they were getting creamed, eh, because these big corporate schools were doing their thing and basically burying them with marketing resources. And so what we did is we um, lo we looked at the uh, big employer base, and it was like dirt industries. So these are like uh, trucking firms, logging firms, mining companies where – you know the business is done out of atco trailers and everybody wears hard hats and blue jeans and and so what these guys did was very clever is they um they they didn't change the program per se but within the client services side they created a whole series of webinars um participation workshops that the students took on how to um connect with dirt industry and uh, the jargon and uh, and what have you. And so what happened is when they graduate, they could put this as a line item in their resume or their CV. Now, what's interesting is with that line item in the CV, it automatically shortlists them for any employer that is in the dirt industry field. And um, so, because that's all you need. you You only need that one little 2% advantage when you're competing for a job. And if you have that little dirt industry sentence or two that you understand the jargon and the industry, it automatically shortlists you. So that's an example of what, what we call fracturing the market or, or sub-positioning. And um, I would highly recommend people take a hard look at all the programs 
and find ways to do that. That's a great way to just solve a whole bunch of problems. Um, and then the last piece, which is a segue to our next topic, you guys, is to drive really hard to um, uh, lower your break-even point on class sizes. So really what we're talking about here is delivering education efficiently. Now, Rita, you have this great product called Clickers, and I don't want you to go on too long about Clickers, but really what we want to do is, is try to improve the user experience inside the classroom, would you not say? Oh, absolutely. And I think that what we find in still in the majority of classrooms is what students might call more of the same, same type of lecture. And one of the beauties of our career schools has always been that most of our programs have a 50% lab component and many of them have externship components. So there's definitely a lot of hands-on. But then the students are still uh, working through more of the same in lecture and note-taking classes and in the schools that call for in-service sessions and things, they want me to try to help the teachers understand how to activate lectures, how to get students more involved. Whatever technology is being used or just the dynamic method of teaching that some teachers have, um, we can't continue to deliver education in a manner that is more of the same. We really have to take a hardcore look at how we're hiring. More importantly, how we're training faculty and ongoing evaluation where they can be recipients of great pats on the back when we see dynamic instruction taking place. Uh, or there's some other coaching going on when, in fact, students are being bored to death by listening to long lectures and then taking tests. Um, we absolutely have to look at faculty. We spend a lot of money recruiting and marketing our schools. We spend all of that upfront money, and then we have to take a look at what we're investing, whether it's time, money, resources, in training the faculty. They have to be consumed by the mission, totally consumed yeah. by the characteristics of the yeah. students yeah. we bring into the school, too. So um, th that's a great insight. And, Shane, uh, in addition, you know, now schools are moving to um, – some very interesting online platforms. Online platforms are no longer these boring, cruddy uh, things that people have to slog through. There's like Udacity, Khan Academy, different platforms that are now allowing schools to become efficient and drop their prices, hey? Well, they are, and, and both the quality of the online um, learning is improved and and and. Um, program areas that f formerly I never thought would have been suited to online are now um, starting to add online components. Like I'm thinking of a, a client of ours it has got an HVAC, HVAC uh, program that now has a blended version. So they've the, the result of that has been, they've been able to increase the geographic area that they target because the students can complete a portion of it online and then travel to the campus to do a portion of it. So that's an example of using technology to help um, increase your marketing territory and succeed at it. There's you know, Shane, it's going, it's going to get interesting. Like uh, We were chatting a couple weeks ago about what Georgia Tech has done where they've taken their um, uh, their computer science master's degree and they're offering it online on a Udacity platform for 6000 bucks, where their competitors are charging thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars 
Yeah. That's crazy, hey? Well, it is. And, you know, ultimately this, the regulations are ultimately a version of price control, right? That's what the goal of them is. And so if we don't find more efficient ways to deliver, then we're saddled with the same costs we've always incurred in delivering the program, but our margin is shrunk because the amount of revenue we can realize off the program is lower, right? And so yeah. inaction basically means your profit goes out the window and you're you're at break-even. Another little tactic that I, I've jumped on, I've, I've heard about, is, is called flipping. So what some schools are starting to do is they, they take... Um, Rita alluded to boring lectures. They they will um, film a lecture, or they'll license a lecture, like an awesome lecture that's really entertaining, and they record it, record it once, and then the students will watch the lectures online at home, and then they come into the classroom to do the the lab work with a teaching assistant or an instructor working around the room. So usually it's, like Rita said, boring lecture, and then you do your homework. They're flipping it now, and they do the awesome, watch the awesome entertaining lecture, and then do your, your coursework in-house. So, well, there's, a, there's a nutrition school in New York that's done an excellent job of that. Their whole curriculum is, is uh, on an iPad, with with really world class, world renowned authors and and experts in their field that give lectures, and so they've got all these gurus that deliver the content, and then um, assi- uh, teaching assistants or p- facilitators that help with the um, the lab component of it. I believe uh, Deepak Chopra is one of the uh, speakers of that uh, that school. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, all right, so making education now fluid versus a static experience. So I'm going to just share a real bizarre example, but there's this um, car dealership in Baltimore uh, that is a Chrysler dealership, and it, it um, outs- on a per-lot basis, outsells the other Chrysler dealerships like 10 to 1. And they had this issue because they had, uh, for those of a certain age, I don't, do you guys remember K-Cars? Key cars were in the 1980s, and they were designed, and they're like disposable cars, and they were hideous cars, and they were designed to blow up after uh, something like 80,000 miles, and and so Chrysler was this, this dealership recognized they were stuck with this dog, so what they did was they reframed their whole offering, so instead of selling you uh, a car as a singular event. They reframed it and said, "We're going to sell you a five-year stream of benefit, and we're going to—it's going to cost you two grand a year for five years. And anything goes wrong with a car, um, then we will make it right. We'll give you another car, whatever you need." So they actually reframed the singular transaction and turned it into a stream of benefit contract. It's like interface carpets. You never buy commercial carpet from them. You lease it. And then when you're finished with the carpet, they come and tear it out, and then they recycle it. So education, there's the potential to do that, hey, you guys, is to really um, take education um, and specifically continuing education and bundle it into a like a, a five-year journey. Um, who wants to speak to that? Anyone? 
Rita. I will. I will for a sec. <laughs> and just in bro- broadly, just what it requires to come up with crazy ideas like that is the is the willingness to, to entertain the crazy idea in the beginning. And if you think about, okay, so what's the what's the conversation that happened at the boardroom at the car dealership or at the carpet company that say, hey, we're going to lease carpets instead of sell carpets, and everyone and some somebody had the courage to pipe up and say that, and everyone else looked at them like they were nuts and thought, well, how can we lease a carpet? Because once it's used, it's used, we can't sell it, and so. Someone had the courage to offer up the idea, and someone had the vision to entertain the idea to figure out if they could actually make money doing it. And that's the that's the position you're, the schools you're in right now. Is it's it's not um, tweaking. It's not a little two uh, percent operational improvement that you know we want to get from a, a B to a B plus. It's we want to get it from a B to a you know a ninety two. It's just a different conversation. That's a great insight. Um, Rita, uh, Shane's point, I think what he's really getting at is there's these two, there's a school and there's continuing education, and we know that with many industries, um, the body of knowledge doubles or makes or creates redundancy every couple of years. Um, can Can you just change the game and and hire and sign somebody on for like a five-year um, journey together with the continuing education built in. It would also help with uh, if you keep people engaged. It would help them in terms of getting student loans paid and all sorts of cool stuff. Rita, do you, do you care to? Do you have any thoughts? Are you referring to keeping them engaged from a from an education learning perspective or as alumni? Um, no, actually, well, you have. Well, here's the interesting thing: you have alumni. There's continuing education, which community colleges tend to do, and uh, universities and stuff. And then you have the event, call it a diploma program of ten months. Say it's cosmetology. Now, why not take your alumni, take the continuing education proven model, take technology. Uh, and just create ongoing webinars for free for your graduates as a way to keep them engaged. I mean, it can create, it can, it can build repayment on student loan. You can maybe charge a little bit more money. Um, you can um, create added value through this Uber bundling, like reframing the relationship. Hey, hey we're going on a five-year ride with you here, and we're going to make put you in great shape uh, you know it, it's just reframing the game that's really i, think I guess the, um the, i'm just going to dismiss the five-year window for a second so i can use a little different vision of my own i think one of the most significant areas that all schools in our career school and college world could take a very very close look at doing better is the contact with alumni we have really never been successful in my 33 years in the industry in establishing alumni associations. The good news about that is that they're a thing of the past for the most part, unless you're talking about the great big universities that have all of the football and all of the activities that bring the alumni back. We don't have that kind of hold on our graduates, but with the online networking community 
opportunities that exist today. I am finding significant opportunities for alumni to remain connected to the school. That brings referrals into the school for not only new students, but also job placement opportunities. And I would want my alumni connected to the school forever, not just a five-year window. And then you get online or you get continuing education opportunities because Ms. Jones is now working in Dr. Smith's office. And the whole office needs a seminar on the latest uh, ECMO machine that's keeping heart patients alive. They come to your school for that and you bring the expert in for that. There are just so many opportunities for the alumni. And the good news is that this whole world of online networking, whether you're looking at LinkedIn or Facebook or some other method, um, is huge for the private career schools now. And if we want to be at the top of our game with that, we have every opportunity to do it. So, Shane, um, I want you to uh, just share with the folks, to go and create a, like a, an alumni-oriented um, continuing education webinar, um, is that like thousands and thousands of dollars to put together? Or, like, what's the deal? Uh, w- webinars? Um, yeah, uh, $50 a month, maybe, for the technology, and then a little bit of labor to organize. Oh, so what you're saying... a content person. So, so what you're saying is that for virtually no money, you can keep your alumni engaged and and continue to, to create new opportunities to for them to learn with cutting-edge stuff. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Shane, that's a great insight. It is. The, the, right, thing the about, commitment is greater than the cost. The commitment has to be there. And well, that's yes. great. I'm glad you brought that up. Because that is ultimately the, the cost, is that pr- product improvement, like my language, imp- improving what you deliver to somebody to create a, a better qualified graduate, deeper connections with the employers, just a better um, outcome overall, which helps protect helps make sure that you're going to hit your numbers and you're not going to fall into the 13 to 22% of programs that are out the window, doesn't cost a lot of money. It does cost time and it does require innovation and creative thinking. That's what it costs. And so if you are short of time and creative thinking, those are the two things you need to free up in your world to start innovating. So, Shane, uh, to that end, um, I think the people on the call are all leaders, and they uh, they tend to suffer from time famine. And mm-hmm. I have noticed that we're like five minutes over what we agreed to be in our conference call, which makes me sad. And the reason it makes me sad is because we had eight major points chock full of tips to share on our talk today. And, man, we only got through three of them, you guys because we all like to chat, I guess. Um, so, folks on the call, here's yeah, we, we'd love to share all eight of these insights with you. Maybe we could just jump on the phone individually at some point and do that. Um, or you can come um, see us speak at the ABSCU conference. We're going to give this talk in its entirety uh, on Wednesday early morning as part of the, the breakout sessions for ABSCU. If you want to set up some time, to go through this talk on the phone um, in its entirety, uh, we can take a half an hour together and even personalize it for you, either Rita, Shane, or myself. 
So here's how you do it if you're interested in this. is I want you to write this number down or just text me. The text this number, 250-888-7111, 250-888-7111. And the first six people that jump on will um, set up some free time for you and give you some consulting on this matter and um, give you some quality time. Now, um, before we sign off on the uh, uh, formal part of this conference call, Shane, any uh, final words? Um, yeah, um, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. The, the there's this, okay. Yes, I know what I want to say. There's a, a an idea, a, a concept of life I really like that I've tried to adopt, and I'm going to encourage you all. I'm going to share it with you. And then it came from a fellow named um, uh, uh, Greg Meeklejohn. Dan, <laughs> Greg Dan Kennedy, and and his mantra was all news is good news, and and meaning that no matter what you're confronted with, if you can view it as an opportunity, it puts you in the right frame of mind. And, and um, Rita, you had some a beautiful way of sort of describing that mindset, that kind of creative um, open-mindedness, but. I'd encourage you all to take an all-news-is-good-news kind of view of the regulatory um, opportunities that are going to present in the next little while. And that, and I think if you do that, it, it will help drive innovation and take you in places you never thought you could go to. I think that's a great insight, and I think that's a perfect segue to say farewell to everybody. And... Um, if anybody wants to